All right. So, hello. This is Elizabeth. And Lee. And we're going to do a podcast today on the three instincts. And before I do that, um, we want to make an announcement that we are having a Know Your Number workshop on Sunday, May 16th. And that's from 9 to 4. 9 to 4. And the way we uh, kind of fund this podcast is through through our workshops. And we do um, workshops for uh, companies and groups of people and staff and stuff like that. And that's, you know, really, really fun. Um, I was going to say in particular today what I, who I would like to thank for this podcast. I would like to thank Ashley Sutherland and Elizabeth Pecor and Rachel Lomas and Melody McClary and Michael Schur for coming to our five number night, which is allowing us to make this podcast today. So thanks guys. Um, and that, you know, the, our doing, Lee and I doing that is our way of not doing Patreon or not doing ads. And I don't know if it's always going to work, you know, it might not always work, but we're, that's what we're just trying to do. So, so, uh, we have kind of been you know, bullied into doing an instinct podcast by all our seven friends. <laughs> and so we're going to give it a go. And uh, one thing I want to say is that I have been studying this for a while. Like Lee and I were Suzanne's people. What do you call it? What we did? Apprentices for mm-hmm. three years. And Suzanne definitely taught us about it. And Suzanne definitely does workshops on this. And we've, studied Beatrice about it. We've read Beatrice's book. We've listened to Russ talk about it. But every time I listen to somebody else talk about it, it it never feels like aha. And I will say that it makes me feel better that Beatrice kind of had a similar experience. Like she said something like she'd been do- teaching the Enneagram for 16 years and she thought she was a she thought she thought was, was a, a social. She, I don't know something. She did not think she was a self press too, right? And sure. some Italian dude told her she was, and she was stubborn about it and prideful. And so, if Beatrice is prideful enough to not know her own instinct, then that makes me feel better. And I also think, like Russ talks about it, is our they are our animal instincts. Um, he talks about it as this is our creatureliness and. Mm-hmm. We, when you're hungry, you eat. And when you're sleepy, you sleep. And it's not something you analyze. You just, it's what, it's just a, something that your body knows. And, um, and because it's something your body knows, and it's because we're hardwired for our own survival in this way, because it's so close to the bone, it's not, it's something I think that's harder for us to actually see in ourselves. It's one of the things that Beatrice, I think, said, or maybe Russ said, that this is one of those things where actually your loved ones can maybe tell you, like, your number is something you know. Right. But maybe your friends and loved ones are the people who could say, you know what? You do that. You maybe should look at sexual, or you maybe should look at self press. Which, so that's it. That's, that's interesting. Helpful. Yeah, it's helpful. W- one thing I think is important is that we all we have all three instincts. So you're not missing an instinct. And the question is not like which one are you? Which one is dominant? Though one is dominant, but it's the the relationship you have with all three of them. Mm-hmm. And as Lee is always so good about saying on all of our podcasts, it's about self observation. Yeah. And um and it's and it's part of your number, so it's where your instinct gets tangled up in your number's passion. And that's, that's the subtype. That's the subtype. And so before you get to all that, what you have to understand is there are three instincts separate from your number mm-hmm. and separate from anything else. And and then I so you have to you have to know two things. You have to know the three instincts mm-hmm. and you have to understand the passion of your own number. Yeah. And yeah. those are kind of that's that's kind of it really. I mean, I'm sure there's more. Oh, there's a lot more, <laughs> but I think you have to start there. Yeah. And you have to 
separate them, I think, before you can put them together. Yeah. And I, I have some resistance or bias to how we, people, you know, use 500 modifiers to tell you what their Enneagram number is. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this has become one recently. And I don't know that folks, I, I, I don't know that folks always know how it's helpful. And so I, I, I'm starting to learn that in, in myself as we've studied more and I'm yeah. a little more open-minded about it. <laughs> but I do, I do think we, and we've talked about this in prior podcasts that just knowing a lot and kind of living into what you know instead of doing transformative work or thinking, Oh, I have all these descriptors about me and right. isn't this great? I know exactly what I am and how I do things, mm -hmm. but what, what do you, what do you do with it? I think is what I am curious in learning about instincts and subtypes and how that work can help me in my own transformation. And I, st I, I still have a lot of learning to do oh, with I, that, I think. Same here. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I mean, I think there's a big, uh, disclaimer, we're going to have a big disclaimer on this podcast and we know something, but we don't, there's a lot we don't know. And we're going to do this and our, we've sourced our study from Russ Hudson, mostly in this wonderful website called Enneagram of Maine, as in the state, um, really good language mm -hmm. around instincts. And then of course, Beatrice. And of course, Beatrice. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, the, the three instincts are self-preservation, sexual, or attraction, and social. So most people would say you have a dominant instinct, and I think that's fair to say. Mm -hmm. um, Suzanne used to talk about instincts as a three-legged stool and that you're just trying to keep your, your legs the same length. Yeah, and so I you can felt like it. it was similar to your um, instinctual or your intelligent, the three centers of intelligence, that it was a similar mm. wanting to balance them, right? Mm. Like the three of thinking, feeling and doing that our work is balancing those that she talked about that similarly, kind of like a cake. So you, you want, want to balance your instincts layers. and you want to ba balance your thinking, feeling, doing. Yeah. And I don't, but I don't know if you can balance your instincts. I'm not sure. I feel like she talked about that that's, I'm not saying that, I think it's the goal. Yeah. I don't, I, I think it's like saying that you want to be enlightened or whatever. Sure. I mean, it's the goal <laughs> sure. is sure. to have balanced instincts. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, so, so we all have a dominant instinct and um, under stress, we go to it addictively. Um, we overuse it. And Russ says it doesn't mean you're good at your dominant instinct. It just means that you are focused on it. Mm -hmm. um, Russ talks about instincts that when you're present to them and when you're not present to them, how they can manifest differently. So you can have a dominant instinct and be present in it. And it looks one way that's helpful to you. And you can be not present to it or not present to your own life and your dominant instinct gets warped by your numbers passion. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we focus on our dominant instinct effortlessly. It's hardwired into us. It's kind of the easiest thing to do. Mm -hmm. When we are less healthy, as I just said, the dominant instinct is the driving force of distorting our numbers passion. So for me as a four with envy as my passion, it's very easy for me to to see when I'm not doing well and I'm comparing, comparing and in a lot of envy. I can I can feel uh, the sexual instinct. I can feel the ways in which I'm doing that by ramping up my intensity about a lot of things mm -hmm. that is not helpful yeah. um, and just increases my shame. So that's just a quick example. Uh, Enneagram Romaine talks about dominant instinct as its ability to bring us a predictable sense of what we want. We can and do get addicted to it, particularly as a way to avoid experiencing difficulties in our lives. 
or to avoid stepping into growth experiences. Mm. So it's kind of a way of staying on autopilot or as an attempt to lessen stress or suffering. But like any addiction, it brings immediate pleasure and long-term pain. When less healthy, the dominant instinct drives us in a direction that is often contrary to what is healthy and expansive. Yet it can feel right. It can feel good like any true addiction. So I I love that language um, as an addict myself. (laughs) So, Well, uh, and I, you know, in doing the reading and listening and learning more about this, And thinking about the word instinct Mm -hmm. and um, what you just talked about, this kind of drive and habit in our unawareness, it's almost like it's a deeper being able to recognize the habitual patterns of our Enneagram type or number that this is even it feels like it's even more rooted kind of in our, you know, some people would talk about our biological self or evolutionary Mm -hmm. self Mm -hmm. that it's such it's such a drive that it's even it seems like it's even almost harder to pay attention to or to suss out and just the word instinct i think about when we teach and try to describe the instinct center like your gut the that it's hard to describe like it's hard to it's hard to describe gut and it's hard to describe instinct instinct right because it's this this natural i like the way he says when you're when you're hungry you eat you eat yeah. yeah, but we don't know how to talk about that. But we don't really? know how to talk yeah. about what that fe- what it feels like yeah. to to know that you're hungry. Um, so uh, then you typically, uh, I think most people say you have a blind spot instinct, which is your least used instinct, um, the one you're least in contact with, or you tend to avoid or procrastinate around this instinct because of the inherent shame. You feel in regards to your ineffectiveness in this territory, yeah. which I, I feel that very strongly. Um, I'm self pres blind spot, and I have a lot of shame around my ineffectiveness in that right. in that um, instinct. Well, and what we've realized in visiting this last week is that we are polar opposites as far as right. kind of our sequence of instincts. So I'm yeah. heavy self pres and. And I'm heavy sexual. Sexual is my blind spot. Right. And, and self-res is my blind spot. Yeah. yeah. And we get along. And somehow. Yeah. Somehow. But I think I drive you crazy. Uh, <laughs> um. So I like this sentence too. This is again from Enneagram. I mean, we feel like we did not get the instructions to properly navigate our blind spot instinct. And mm-hmm. we have trouble focusing on it, on it, even when we set an in- intention to do so. So that's really true. The person, the, I think it's a man who wrote this. He talks about like, you can really set an intention. You're like, Oh, I'm self-pres blind spot. I'm really going to work on, you know, my taxes or whatever you, you can set your, I'm really going to be clearer about my calendar going forward and how you can really make that intention. And it just slips through your fingers so easily. And I think for me, like in the sexual space or that kind of desirous space, I feel so, it feels very, um, it's almost embarrassing that I don't know how yeah, or that I, yeah that I feel kind of remedial in yes. that space. That's a good word you know, for it's it. It's really, it's embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Yeah. It's so embarrassing. Yeah. But it's, it is working on the blind spot is what weakens the addictive uh, nature of your dominant instinct. So that's um, super important. Um, and then you, you have a middle instinct, which purportedly, operates health healthily and is less neurotic because it's neither over or underused. So that's the language around it. I'm not saying that that's exactly how I experience it, but that's what most people tend to say. And I would say I'm not even sure how I experience it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't. I I, I have some thoughts around how I experience it, but I'm going to talk about it within my my teaching. Um, So... We're going to start with self-pres instinct. Russ gets into how each instinct, of course, has three parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're just going to layer you know, even some more. Yeah, layer, Ridiculous. layer with the threes. All the triads. Um, but in general, the self-preservation instinct is about conserving and using our energy to create stability. 
um, creating predictability and maximizing safety and steadiness. So that's just kind of basic self-pres language. And we didn't really talk about this at the beginning, but I do, for me, as I've studied the instincts more, it has been helpful for me to kind of think of them as kind of these maybe like concentric circles or like a Maslow's kind of hierarchy and the self-pres is kind of that initial focus on yourself and then you Closest kind of in. take risks and then you mm, think about I the like social that. community. Like yeah. I, I like kind of thinking about that development. It helps me yeah. feel a little clearer for me. Um, at least when I am trying to think about how do I work, work, work on these or how yeah. to develop them. Yeah. Yeah. So zone one for self-pres is well-being. And I kind of think, you know, when I think of self-pres, that's kind of what comes first to mind. Um, how to take care of one's health with exercise, eating well, stress reduction, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, capacity for self-care feels good and often comes easily. Um, rituals and habits that are needed to maintain well-being, such as good sleep and exercise, are just kind of how you go through your mm -hmm. life. Also, self-pres is attuned to habits that sabotage that well-being. So they're attuned to what gives them stress. They're attuned to what makes them feel overworked. And they're attuned to unhealthy eating habits. Um, they're aware of all these things. And they're thinking about all these things. It's on their radar. Yeah. They're all often able to notice signs and symptoms of ill health or impending illness. So they feel when their body's getting a little out of whack. They kind of see it coming and they usually do something about it. They go to the doctor. They do what needs to be done to take care of it. So I would just say, I think it's good for us to just like when we teach the numbers mm -hmm. that we can describe behaviors and it's really important for people not to get attached to yeah. like not all self-pres people do that. Now they right. might be focused on it, but they might well, not do it in a healthy way. So yeah. It's Russ says you might not be good at it. So it, you, you might be focused on your well-being, but you might not, you might be neurotically focused on it, or you might be focused on it in a way that's not helpful, that's not helpful. or even activating or completely out of touch with, you know, you might be completely out of touch with your body because like as a nine who is a self-pres, yeah. I have to work really hard to be in touch with my body and to act on my own behalf to take care of myself. So it's a, yeah. it's a, and I think also, I think he was, he, Russ was saying that he likes breaking it up into the mm -hmm. zones because he, the feedback he gets and also his research over the years has shown him that people say, you're like, you're a self-pres and you can actually be a self-pres that doesn't resonate with zone one. Right. So I think that's important to know too. Absolutely. Also just makes it more confusing though. Yeah. <laughs> um, um so, uh, self-pres instinct in zone one of well-being are aware of, generally speaking, of recent health innovations, trends, regimens, and environments that make them feel healthy and that maximize energy. Mm -hmm. So, the kinds of people in your life who know about ice baths and peptides and things like that. <laughs> like, I don't know why I'm saying like, that. Because look at you raising your self-pres over there. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> that's what menopause does to this sexual bitch. Um, that, okay, so that's zone one of self-pres. Zone two is resources. And that is awareness around taking care of financial stuff, um, spending money wisely, Securing and conserving your resources, um, understanding what it takes in the real world to expand your resources and enhance your security. So these are all things I'm terrible, terrible at. So natural ambition and know how to create structures in the world that allow their stability to expand um, and understand all the kind of practical applications in the world of making that happen. Mm -hmm. I think you're good at all this stuff. So. I've had to work at it. Okay. But you're self-pres nine and mm -hmm. you feel like you have to work at this. Uh, this resources piece mm -hmm. is something that I really, in the last probably two to three years, I've had to be really intentional about. And it does not okay. come naturally to me. Okay. All right. Were, were you just like zone three or something? What were you? Like I'm, what comes naturally to you as a self-pres nine? So I'm, I, the, 
domestic. Okay, the last zone three, mm-hmm. our next zone. Mm-hmm. Comfort. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so also in resources is uh, kind of self-reliance, uh, wanting to know what comes next, mm-hmm. um, spotting what's broken and needs to be fixed, uh, responsible, conscious, practical, all those kinds of things. Um, zone three is domesticity, which is Lee's zone. I've heard someone refer that to, to like nesting. Which nesting. Really, which really resonates with me. Okay. I'll write that down. So attending to domesticity, creating a safe haven they can relax <laughs> and settle in. Um, Praise God. Aware of the nuances of their abode. Their abode. They fix things that are broken, which it sounds like zone two and resources also does. Uh, they do things that make home a place of safety, comfort, support. Russ's examples are things like the fridge is stocked. Uh, the pantry is well stocked. They were ready for that ice storm. Um, they have black backup plans for these kind of things. Their furniture is comfortable, stuff like that. They possess the capacity to create a home environment that is sturdy, well cared for, safe. That's kind of all the same stuff. Um, conscious of the factors that contribute to this and enjoy doing whatever it takes to create this sense of home or home base. And they take care of, uh, their home and they take their home with them. So a lot of times when they travel, they kind of take things with them that wherever they go, they can kind of nest in the hotel, mm-hmm. nest in their Airbnb, take little things Might with take them. Take their own pillows. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I think I mistakenly as a four, uh, when I heard this kind of thought, I had a lot of this on board. But again, that's just like the nuance of it. I'm just um, super driven by beauty and uniqueness and I'm always making my home a real expression of myself and I'm very busy with that. I spend a ton of time and energy thinking about all these things, but it's not about safety. It's not about comfort even. I'm really not interested in comfort at all. I'm a I'm an expert in uncomfortable furniture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it's more about beauty and self expression and mm-hmm. uniqueness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a that is a really good example of again about the self observation. So you can read and look at these instincts one yeah. time and think, Oh, that's me or oh that can't be me at all. Because I'm not good with money or I'm not, yeah. you know, I don't listen to my body that well. But I, you know, listening, um, especially to Beatrice talk about how if you think about this area or th- in these three areas of self-preservation being where your focus goes. Mm-hmm. So whether you are actually doing this in the bullet points underneath them and really doing them well, it, your your focus is there all the time, right? right? Like that's kind of your the instinct piece, and then your your type laid over it or as a lens that you're kind of looking at these um, or trying to live out these instincts. That's where it gets really kind of like the subtype and the, the yeah. messiness of um, our number gets involved, you know? Because yeah. I, as a nine who is dominant, like I was telling you beforehand, that I have, you know, the one as far as well-being, because my above everything almost, what I want is is this harmony and peace, that that drives how I decide what well-being looks like. And I think that well-being, even if it's not good for my body, if I feel peaceful, if I'm not causing conflict or disconnection, that's going to be what I choose if I'm not doing my work, which, you know, the example being that when I had, um, I literally remember laying in pre-op before I had my thyroid out and looking, you know, he said, I'll see you on the floor afterwards. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, you know, we'll take you up to the floor. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go. I'll just go on home. <laughs> you know, like I just told the surgeon, no, thank you. I will not need to go stay overnight in the hospital that is ridiculous and what was happening in me was not me thinking about obviously because I needed to be in the hospital right I had issues afterwards I had to be I had to have blood work constantly and it was the best thing for my body Mm -hmm. and safety to be there but the how I viewed that as a nine was that meant 
people had to come pick me up and worry about me. It meant I was being more of a burden Mm -hmm. on other people. It Mm -hmm. meant that maybe this was worse than I thought it was and I was going to need more from other people. So all Mm -hmm. of my kind of harmony um, prickles just dominated harmony prickles <laughs> what you know like yeah that that was you were invading. more concerned about, like in that moment peace in your body was more important than, than the, the health of your health. body yeah. and i would say that that lens colors all, all of these right yeah. you know yeah. so that there's there's 27 lenses of and color and i have to work yeah. hard yeah at deciding the health of my body or the Right. Well-being is better than my comfort or, you know, more important than just my comfort or this. Your perceived perceived well-being around harmony is Mm -hmm. maybe less important than your body health in that instance. In that instance. So that's maybe probably more often than you know. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I just quickly wanted to say what it looks like to have self-pres be your blind spot so that's self-pres dominant three Mm -hmm. different zones self-pres blind spot is to neglect all those things i just talked about or to avoid them or to be uninspired to activate them or you resist them that totally resonates with i'm deeply uninspired Mm -hmm. to activate my self-pres deeply uninspired um what i I know you want to say things (laughs) you want to say all kinds of things i agree um when it comes to being having a self-pressed blind spot, you feel like a little kid in an adult world and you feel ashamed that you don't know how to deal with these self-preservation issues. And that is so resonant for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like I didn't get the handbook um, for how to do all these things. But then also wrapped in there is my four stuff that feels like it's all mundane, yeah. you know, and that's just the it's four like the piece. double blind. There. Yeah. 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 So it's as if we have a missing gene in ourselves that would tell us how to deal with the practicalities of life, um, whether it's health, finances, domesticity, etc. Um, we don't know how to stabilize our lives, and we're oddly not that interested in it. <laughs> um, so anyway, so that's, that's, I think, enough of that. Do you have anything else you want to say about self-press? No, I think that's... You think that's good? We'll move to sexual now. Um, I do think comfort is a good word. Like the more I thought about comfort, I think comfort and self-pres is a good, at least coming from a nine. I think safety and and comfort that they're stability also stability. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. taking care of yourself, kind of however that looks, but. And so for me, this sexual instinct is almost the opposite of that in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But or as you were saying, Maslow, maybe it's not the opposite. It's just maybe further out. On like that. if you think about kind of caring for yourself and making sure you make it and then that this next kind of level is or instinct is moving out of yourself and procreating and taking risks and, mm-hmm. you know, going outside of yourself, I think. Yeah. D- yes. Um, so. In general, a sexual instinct is kind of tracking and following what inspires and excites you. So while the self-pres is about conserving and securing what is known and solid and creates safety and predictability, the sexual instinct is about going beyond the known boundaries of experience, breaking through dead or stultified routines, expanding our known world to enhance it. So like... You know, I'm a sexual four. That language just is right up my alley. I, you know, I just love, I love that language. Breaking through dead or stultified routines. I'm a stultified self-preserver. <laughs> stultified. I love it. Um, so this instinct is inspired to explore, to risk breaking into unknown territory, to step into that which is not stable or explored. So three zones. Zone one is evolution. Um, being willing to put yourself at risk for what lights you up, turns you on, and inspires you. A drive to push the envelope and explore the edges of things. To engage in creative exploration. To go beyond your comfort. 
tuned in to taking risks, seeking new adventures, breaking up routines, following what juices you. I think juice is such a good word for sexual instinct. When they're healthy, they really know how to follow their passions. They get energy from encountering risk and unpredictability. They learn when healthy, they learn to trust what attracts them as guidance. This Enneagram of Maine person, it talks about it as um, giving you the guts to break your patterns, to go to the depths of your soul, to listen to what truly makes your soul sing. Dominant sexual types are the most aggressive, and this shows up as aggression for what attracts you energetically, be an idea a spiritual path, a book, an encounter, etc. Gives you the guts and courage to show up for all of that. Um, that is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> Zone two, broadcasting or attracting. So it's the need to light yourself up, to display your attractiveness, to strut your stuff, to express your charisma, your sexiness, your aliveness, your juiciness, your excitability. Um, you can see how this is called the sexual instinct. It's like, if you think about it as creaturely, this is the, the very thing that keeps the species going, right? Um, yep. It's how we do our dance, how we radiate our aliveness, how we allow inspiration, attractiveness, juiciness to show up, to be displayed, to come through us, to not hide our light under a barrel, to live out loud. I just love all this so much. Um, here we embody the body electric and allow it to glow. Our light shines through and lights others up. We share our juiciness and charisma. We broadcast this energy freely and pick up on those who also light the up and move towards them. We are reading other people's broadcasts, not their emotions. I like that a lot. I think yes. that as a four, I get caught up in this. As a sexual four, I'm reading other people's broadcasts, not their emotions. Some, and so I confuse that. I think I'm picking up on their energy, their juiciness, their charisma, their aliveness, and I want it. Yeah. Um. And so I go for it, and then I realize later that I was wrong about what those emotions were about or whether it was safe yeah. or good for me, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. I get that happens to me all the time. So uh, let's see. Uh, they, they're they broadcasting their energy freely, picking up on others, broadcast, not their love, a lot, not their emotions. Um, they're picking up on other people's attractiveness, Um they're looking for someone with the same bandwidth of energy. This is kind of the same broadcast that, that you're putting out. Um, and you notice very much so when other people's signal is turned off or turned down. Yeah. And uh, if I'm honest, I, that's, this is a huge thing for me. And I can get, ju I have judgment around people whose um, signal is turned down. Enneagram of Maine talks about this as attraction and revulsion me mechanism where you're kind of drawn to people who are putting out that juiciness and you go towards them and you're repulsed by people who have turned their juiciness down um, and that you feel this in your body all day long. And this is true. Um, and so you put a, you put four on top of that and that's when fours get super critical, mm -hmm. disdainful, think mm -hmm. they're better than other people, get over attached to their specialness and other people's specialness and, um, start judging, um, people whose quote juiciness meter is turned down and kind of thinking that they're less than or making, uh, an, you know, judging a book by its cover, basically. They think they've got them figured out. Um, Either and way, really. Right. Right. It gets you in trouble whether their their broadcast is juicy or their broadcast is low. You're you're misinterpreting it either way. Right. Which is super interesting. And I was just going to say, so Enneagram of Maine, I looked up his his name is Michael Naylor. Oh, okay. That's so good. It's good to know. That's name. good to know. Thank you, Thank Michael. Thank you, Michael. We like your language. Yes. Um, okay, zone three for sexual um, is to immerse and dissolve into oneness with the other. And um, 
side note, but not losing yourself or your identity. So I think that's super interesting because I think people have pushed back about this. Uh, a lot of people call it one-to-one. Uh, a lot of people say they don't like calling it one-to-one. So um, immersion, dissolving into one, but not losing your identity. I think that's, I don't know how you do that Beatrice, exactly, but I think Chestnut it's... Chestnut talks about, you know, she really likes sexual and wants to stick with that because if we're talking about I instinct... Like it too. It is that kind of risky, desirous drive um, that does that feels more true to instinct than one to one. I agree. Um, and also n- learning about it as one to one kept me from understanding it. it so it doesn't have the depth. Yeah, it yeah. didn't. It didn't work for me. And so um, I think when you think about broadcasting or attracting people to you. Or fusing people to you or evolving and being out on the edge of mm-hmm. things and taking risks. These are all, these are all the creaturely sexual things we do to keep the species going. So I yeah. think it's an excellent way of talking about it. So, um, fusion to be naked emotionally and authentically with and join the other to deep dive with another. This can lead to the depths of intimacy if our heart is open and on board. With the heart open, we can be completely immersed in someone and have no physical contact at all. That totally makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about um, intimacy. And Russ repeats this over and over again. It's it's intimacy. He says everyone wants to be intimate. Everyone or, you know, not everyone. You can be wounded and have intimacy problems. But underneath the wound, you desire to be intimate with people. But to be fused with someone, to be lost in someone is a different thing than intimacy. Um, It's specific. It's more specific than intimacy. Do you know how to talk about that? Like I don't, I don't well, make I, any I'm going to read the these next two mm-hmm. notes and then I'll and then I'll try to talk about it. Um, to to fully be in contact with our body electric, the zing of our sexual energy, open to the capacity for ecstasy. Yes. <laughs> um, one pointed focus. I like that. So like, think about that instead of one to one. One pointed focus. It reflects our ability to deeply focus our attention, to zero in, to immerse in whatever has captured our attention. The ultimate drive of the sexual attraction energy is to be, is wanting to be completely absorbed in something or someone, breaking through boundaries into the unknown. Immersion can be a book, a piece of art, an art practice, Mm. trekking the internet. Um, It gives one the quality of immersing and absorbing oneself into something or someone feeling the intensity, the excitement, the juice, the yumminess of this. It gives one the fire and the passion to completely give yourself to whatever you are doing. Total involvement, one pointed and singular. So I, you know, I have to say as a sexual four, all three of those (laughs) feel true to me, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I wonder, too, in this, um, in the world we're in, if you can get in Facebook rooms with people and feel this intensity with other people that totally are on board with you about all the things you're intense about yeah. and never even meet these people or touch these people. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel like that's true because yeah. I feel like we have conversations and you feel like with Instagram. I mean, I feel true, like I've heard that true, happen. And true. I, I, it's hard for me to... To understand you know, that. This this one's not even going to comment on stuff, right? So yeah. it's like um, I, you you can't... You can have that intensity. I can. In many realms. I'm, I'm looking for it everywhere. And that's why the one-to-one did not work for me. Because I was like, I'm not doing that to Nathaniel. Like, I didn't marry Nathaniel to lose myself and him and have this intense... Right. Now, I have friends who are like that. I have a what I a sexual five friend who I think is much more about losing herself and her husband. But for me, it's just that it's that I like the one pointed focus, the, uh, see, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily always a single minded person, but I love as a four, I love that intensity. So to be, 
to take all my desires and put them so heavily into one thing mm-hmm. is that's just juice. That's it's juice. It's natural. Yeah. It feels good and it can feel good to my detriment. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. can be, it's an addiction. It's my, it can be addictive yeah. and problematic. Um, and make me not know, you know, I'm not doing my taxes. I don't know what's on my calendar. I forget a Zoom meeting, all these things that fall away because I'm like obsessing over something random. Well, and, you know, I think because of the energy of this, because of the sexual energy, it's easier to, to, to <laughs> put your, put your fingers on and to understand it. And self preservation energy can be, just as addictive, like mm. being addicted to being obsessed with comfort or yeah, it's, um, it's crutch. It's, for a, all it's of a crutch. Us. Yeah. And it's, um, it's more obvious, I think, culturally for what, how, mm-hmm. what your description is. Mm-hmm. Mine might look more acceptable, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and folks will talk about my energy as being grounded and, mm-hmm. And that's, that, that is good stuff. And it, I can also be, you can lose yourself. My idea of what being grounded is, it's not very grounded sometimes, even if it is my gift. It can be stultified. It can be stultified. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like a, a stone. Yeah. Um, okay. So sexual blind spot, which is the opposite is, which is, which is Lee, um, is that they have trouble feeling their passion. (laughs) It feels so high to say sexual blind spot. Sexual blind spot. Well, well, I know. Keep going. So have, they have trouble feeling their passion or knowing what lights them up. Don't have the energy, aliveness, gutsiness to go after what lights them up or turns them on have trouble feeling the juice of their aliveness and don't feel comfortable letting themselves be lit up or on fire. Um, when they do get inspired, this is important, I think, when they are inspired, when they kind of catch a little bit of that juice, then they, you can, I watched people do this, then they quickly draw their attention, the attention elsewhere. They get a little juice, a little fire, and then boom, then they kind of shift. You watch them shift into something that suddenly feels more comfortable and more safe. And you're like, wait, 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 go back. Um, so again, uh, talking about it, like it slips through your fingers. It's, um, sexual blind spot. People, um, have trouble feeling attractive or juicy or desirable, um, they feel that they are boring, um, that no one's attracted to them. And this is super painful and humiliating. Um, so as a result, they can hide their light, hide their shine, hide their juice, and maybe sometimes don't even feel they have a right to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, this is important. They look down on others who easily shine and draw attention to themselves. There's a little moral judgment around that i've watched people who are sexual blind spot people who watch other people be all shiny you can tell it's easy for them you know maybe they're like a sexual seven and they're just going they're just it's all shiny yeah and they're just having a great time and you can watch somebody with a sexual blind spot is just resentful and then tries to you know, they're not aware even that they're resentful, but so they just start making, saying all these things about why that person's undisciplined or that a person doesn't deserve it or, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. Well, you know, for me, what's, you know, we talked about how in the world do we, how does this work, you and I, and I can very clearly, this part of you is very attractive to me, mm-hmm. like this kind of unboundaried, even though you know, now we have to figure out, okay, calendars, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That, that is one of the parts that I really love about you because I know that I am so boundaried in this area and I kind of look at you in awe and you call me out on this, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be my shield or well, like that you ways. open, you know, that it can be both ways, it's, but it's a, I mean, I think like, you I know ground me missing. and you keep me from making sweeping remarks and you, Help me bring some of this teaching back kind of down to, you know, more nuanced language, you know, et cetera. So it's super. It's, it's uh, maybe good, good energy. Yeah. Um, okay. So the last one, social instinct is the capacity to work 
with other people on teams to cooperate to read social signals that allow for better communication and resonance with others and if you kind of think about you know kind of going back to this you know taking care of yourself and safety and then risk going outside of yourself and then this, this kind of being the third kind of iteration of that is the communal like if we risk and we procreate right like right. If you go back to kind of this evolutionary piece then we build communities and how do how do we how do we care for the whole i think uh, yeah. i think that's a it's a good for me at least it's helpful yeah helpful piece yeah the social so uh, the ability to create alliances for one's mm-hmm. survival in the world yeah um th- to form bonds to feel connected to others enhancing one's ability to feel a part of the world to feel you have a true place in this world and that you are welcome and wanted and supported. Um, when this instinct is impaired, you feel you don't belong and you don't have a, ni- a niche. Um, that's, uh, I, you know, I think about this a little bit with withdrawing people. So I think because I'm doing repress and withdrawing as a four, even though I'm a sexual four, I think there's a lot of me that feels I don't have a place. Now, some of that could be my doing repressed, you know, my stance. And some of it could be that kind of victim self-absorption for stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, so I, some of this resonates with me a little bit, um, even though it's not my, my, my dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not my blind either. But yeah. it's like, again, when they say your middle one is kind of cool and groovy, I don't, I feel when in studying all this that in each, in each instinct, I see places in which I need to work and in places I would, and I, that I don't. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't feel quite so like three different legs to me, but I don't know how else to talk about it. I have no idea if this will make any sense, but as I've been thinking about, I think oftentimes we just think of social mm-hmm. and we'll talk more about it. You'll go through it. It's mm-hmm. like a kind of an extroverted or like being with people and life of the party kind of right, like but it's not, groups, it's not that, yeah. but it's, but if you think of it more of the instinctual level and kind of, preserving and belonging and the mm-hmm. kind of the the social good mm-hmm. i i've been th- trying to think a lot this week about how in lots of ways it feels like part of that has is crumbled yes or it, a, an awareness of kind of our world as it's organized right now mm-hmm. what this I- instinct in us mm-hmm. how it's playing out and like if it's off, like, evo- like I've it, been thinking about so evolutionary true. kind of where we are as a world mm. and how, how we're n- not caring yeah, for the whole in so many ways. I agree. So, it's, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about it as an instinctual sickness. It makes me think, God, I want to work on this. Like, like maybe culturally where we have some sickness around this instinct. Yeah. I think I that's really wonder. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. So three, the three zones of social. The first one is reading, adapting, and I like calling it that friend or foe thing. So going back to creatureliness, it's really important um, to be able to know whether the people around you are allies or not. So this is how animals survive. And this is, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's clear to understand it for me that way is friend or foe instinct kind of. Um, so the ability to read faces, bodies, emotional nuances, and the intentions of others to accurately interpret what other people are saying, to mm-hmm. be able to read between the lines, um, uh, to kind of get where people are coming from. Uh, to have empathy and put yourself in the place of others and what they're, what they mean, um, so that you can adapt intelligently, so that you can adapt to that, the things that are not being said overt, overtly. To notice how what you say and how you communicate lands on other people, how mm-hmm. people respond to you. Um, people strong in this zone can read the emotional temperature of a room and, and intuitively attuned to that group well and people that are really lacking in this it's like socially awkward is 
is kind of the, I think, yes, absolutely what we we see and folks yes. who just don't have this instinct mm-hmm. and struggle to read and mm-hmm. understand kind of the the norm mm-hmm. and connection. Yes. Um, that being strong in this kind of gives you a lot of confidence too, as this Enneagram of uh, Michael, you say his name is Michael Saylor, Michael Naylor, Naylor, um, Shoot. gives you the ability to quote, join the human family, find your niche and your place in the world and adapt to the needs of others like a great parent. Mm-hmm. And I think that's lovely. Um, second zone of social bonding and affiliating. So the ability to co-create with others, to establish and build relationships, even if you don't like those people, because what matters to you is the higher purpose of serving the, the goal together. Mm-hmm. So you can work in groups of people because what matters to you is that higher purpose. At their best, they're creating the feeling that everyone belongs and everyone is part of the team. Everyone brings something. Um, you, people strong in this are very good at attuning other people to this. So what's, what such a great quality in groups is that they value the higher good. And so they know how to work with other people to bring about that higher good. And they know how to call that out in other people. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an amazing quality. Yeah. Um, they put principles before personalities. Um, they are good at the art of staying connected and maintaining that. So sending emails to friends, remembering birthdays, um, thank yous, all that kind of stuff can respond to the needs of others for the betterment of the mission together, can give, adapt and support others and have the natural ability to see beyond themselves reciprocity with others which is part of teamwork and team spirit. I'm here for you and you are here for me. Um, they enjoy bonding with others. It feels good. It feels delightful. This, that sense of connection and warmth with others. Uh, and so again, they're good at creating that warmth of team spirit. They're, they're, they call other people into that and they create an atmosphere and a space that, that kind of allows for that and makes good team. Yeah. Yes. Um, approachable and uh, exude kind of warm heartedness. They're, uh, the social glue. Um, and what you were saying, Lee, it doesn't mean they're a social butterfly or that they even like groups of people. They right. could be an introvert. Right. You know, but what they do is they have these skills um, that create space for people to get along together and work towards greater goods. And I guess a way, again, a way to to talk about it, that that would be the hopeful kind of best case scenario of this instinct yes or the drive is for that so whether yeah a type does it well or actually has the skills right is you know but that that is their that's where their focus is their focus is their focus is and it could it could can't even be like that they're focused on appearing that way right you know like a three you could be a social three and have be really involved with making sure that you're on this group um, that you're, you know, doing, getting out the vote for young people and that on this team that you're on, that you appear to right. value all these things. Right. Or that you appear to be the one in the newspaper that's getting the attention for doing it, you know. And so that, uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that, like Russ says, that you're good at it. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. So that's tricky. Tricky. Um, and again, that's wrapped up in your numbers passion. So you kind of have to know, yes, I've got all this social stuff on board, but I'm a three and I'm this, or I'm a seven and I'm this and, and kind of unpacking that for yourself, just yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the zone three is contribution to others and that's, um, uh, involvement and participation in altruism. Uh, the instinctive desire to contribute to others, to give your gifts away for the betterment of the world. Um, they're passionate about contributing, helping, feeding the social good, finding your particular mission in this contribution, feeling a part of the world and its troubles, and you feel an innate responsibility to help others and to feel that kinship. Mm-hmm. 
They know their calling and understand how to how it serves the world. Um, they participate in what is happening. They step into life. They're a part of this. They feel a deep connection to the tribe of humanity. God, we need more of that. We do need more of that. And uh, and I don't feel that I'm good at this. So uh, as a four that feels that I'm dominant sexual and blind spot self pres So again, my social should so supposedly somewhat healthy and somewhat neutral because I'm not overusing it or underusing it. I feel that I'm underusing it in this zone. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm good at altruism. I think some of that is... My doing repressedness. Some of it is my for, uh, you know, being kind of wrapped up in my specialness and shame mm-hmm. and not having, not kind of getting lost in that so that I'm forgetting the greater good. I'm forgetting my altruistic notions. Sometimes I try to let myself off the hook as an artist that I am doing my greater good with my art. And therefore, guess what? You know, you don't have to do these other things. And I, I mean, I say shit like that to myself. Yeah. Some of it is true because you can't do everything. and Everybody no. has to find their space. But but some of it isn't true. And some of it is me just letting myself off the hook. Yeah. So, again, that's where I just feel like it's not, you know, it's not the sandwich where your meat is just great. You know, I have a, a you know, a sexual, then social, then self-pressed sandwich, but my social has got some problems. That's <laughs> yeah. what, that's just all I'm saying. And you yeah. don't have to, it may not be true for you and it may only be true for me, but that's, that's what I know for myself. I've got, I got lots of problems. You got problems in your social? I, yeah, well, yeah. Okay. I mean, and I think a lot of it. And that's your middle one too. Connected yes. to doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think I, I have grown in it just by necessity over the last year or With, two, yeah. right? Yeah. Just the last With four COVID years. In the hospital. And the, yeah. poli- well, just politics and mm-hmm. what is happening in our world and, it being in our face um, that I don't, but th- part of that is just doing my Enneagram work, right? Mm-hmm. So part of it is doing my stance work. Um, and I think, you know, part of this is, I think sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I am like, oh my God, you know, our whole life doesn't fit in Enneagram. Like, you know, right. it, obviously it's sometimes you forget when we're talking, like I can't describe every little nuance of my life does not fall into the Enneagram. Right. I think growing up in a small town really influences um, kind of how I see community and how you have to take care yes. of one another. And, you know, I think living into that learning and that kind of part of who I am also helps with this kind of social instinct or, totally. or calling on that learning. Yes. And knowing what can be. Um, yes. When you care for one another and kind of do get out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the last thing is the is social being your blind spot. So when pe- when social is your blind spot, um, you can be kind of a little myopic and self-focused, not necessarily out of selfishness, which I think is really important, mm-hmm. but out of an inability to see what you have to offer. And I think that's important. Um, they don't feel liked and are not sure they even like people that much. Um, when people gather to connect or work on a team project, they don't understand how to be a team player. They don't read others well and miss the cues that create social connections. Mm-hmm. They can feel out of place and unable to form alliances. Sometimes they can feel that friendships are unnecessary. What's the big deal? What's the point? Uh, while secretly feeling incapable of forming real bonds with people. So, yeah. again, it's that kind of armor we have of just dis- being disdainful of the thing that we that actually we can't do. Yeah, that, that we can't do. Naturally. Um, they have a difficult time getting in touch with their calling, how they want to contribute to life. They have very little mo- motivation to figure out their calling and how they can contribute to life. So their sense of relationship and kinship with the world feels very distant and vague. Um, they don't feel like they really belong or part of the web of life or the kind of that, that motivation to make the earth a better place. Mm-hmm. Out of tune with the flow of people and the messages that people are sending. 
So they make errors of judgment and they take things wrong, speak out of turn, don't understand the flow of communication Mm -hmm. around them and make more mistakes this way, therefore feeling worse about themselves and more withdrawn and more unwilling to take risks because uh, they're there. So mm. that's it's kind of like the outsider. Like if you think yeah. about a community, it's just a person who doesn't. It is kind of the, the person who's on the outside. Yeah. And I, I think, again, this is where um, Internet can kind of maybe make this can exacerbate this. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's that's running through the instincts. And I hope that's helpful. Yeah. Um, and I think I, so I think the more we talk about it. And I, you know, we were talking about how what I have found when we were doing our our in apprenticeship with Suzanne, and I think we might have done more than one subtype workshop. Oh yeah, I look back and have for shirts. Sure. And I remember the first time because I was working so hard on bringing up my repressed center and was very aware of. I guess, I mean, I didn't note at the time, but, but of this sexual energy, like that's where I was very aware of my lack in doing. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I, I thought it was a sexual nine because that's where I was working so hard, right? Like all of how the subtype of a sexual nine described kind of where my attention felt was like there was a the lot time, of attention there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I still am a little, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, I still don't quite understand how to, the work of this. It helps me to think, to kind of think of these kind of concentric circles and why would I just want to focus my, my work in the self-pres circle, you mm-hmm. know, that I, um, I, I think naturally bringing up doing. Yeah. As a a person who is aware of my neighbor, aware of that I'm not so good of knowing my own desires or connecting relationally in that way, that bringing up doing kind of naturally in some ways balances those. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm curious I, as we talk yeah. more and read more about this, like what is the what is the practical practical piece of transformation that this adds adds for us? Like how right. how does it help? How do, I guess it makes the map a little clearer. Yeah. If I know that I'm thinking comfort, 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 and all the time yeah. as a self pres kind of dominant person, that that makes my my path to how I bring up doing and balance out my three centers of intelligence a little clearer. It makes me my self-observation a little easier, maybe mm-hmm. for me to, mm-hmm. to see what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe completes the map a little bit. It's a little a, bit. But I do think it's an intersection of stance, passion, and instinct. So, like, I think, you know, you and I both are doing repressed. So I know that I have to bring up doing. And in my case, to know that I'm self-pressed blind spot, I need to bring up these practical things. Where you need to do are the practicals. Those are the practical things. Mm -hmm. Um, Those things that feel um, stultifying, basically, Mm -hmm. are the things that um, oddly are going to give me life it's weird it's very hard to believe but but i i don't i think if you just if i didn't know the stance piece and you just said to me elizabeth your self-press blind spot and you just really need to you just really need to think more about your finances (laughs) and your well-being i I, and, and and when i'm in a like an emotional tailspin which i am all the time i don't think that would be very helpful in and of itself to me. Right. I do think, and the reason we've been bullied by our seven friends to do this podcast is I do, I think the most, most, maybe most helpful aspect of this is the countertypes yes. in all the numbers. And so we'll get to that. And, and we'll, we'll do another podcast just on that. I think we'll do another podcast just on countertypes because I think. And the, a countertype is in each number, one of the subtypes Kind of goes really against your passion. It really doesn't feel like yeah. the 
it doesn't feel like the typical four or the typical doesn't match the flow yeah. of your number. Motivation or, is still the same. Always. Mo- motivation is still the same. I think what passion be- is still the same. All those things are still the same, but as this instinct, makes Beatrice's it. partner, what's his name? Don't can't think of his name. Love his accent. He was saying it makes you more ambivalent. Mm-hmm. And that your energy and your number has a lot more ambivalence. And so it's harder to pick up on. It's harder to pick up on that. But it's like, for example, like a sexual five has all this push pull, you know, and wow, I wouldn't have understood that if I didn't know the counter type of five. So it's easy to mistype if you don't understand all the counter types. Yeah. And, and I do think that is that is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's maybe like the big, the biggest thing, perhaps. But we don't know. Like I said, <laughs> don't listen to us. <laughs> We're just yeah. putting it oh, out there. Yeah, Beatrice Chestnut's book, The Complete Enneagram. Woo, it's amazing. Tells you all the things. All the things. Yeah, and then enneagramofmain.com has really good language. Michael Naylor, we really liked we really enneagram, liked. and I I put an of in there. Enneagram Main. Yeah. Dot com. And also, I, I'm not that into Reddit, but when it comes to Enneagram, Reddit is fun. Yeah. And you found some really fun stuff with Russ Hudson doing instincts and subtypes. Somebody actually, it's actually not literally him, but it's someone who, who transposed all his work onto Reddit and like put a lot of effort into doing it correctly. And so that's awesome. Um, I mean, that is a rabbit hole. I will say, and you can't, you don't really necessarily know what you're getting, but but anyway, it's fun. It's fun. But anyway, thank you. I just, another reminder that we're going to have a know your number workshop, which we rarely do on May, Sunday, May 16th. And And if you like our ramblings, we've never, ever said this. And how many people have told us you can rate us, give us a a five-star rating we would like. Which makes it easier to find us. Easier to find us. (laughs) And you can come to our workshops and you so that we can workshop. continue rambling. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye. I must admit, I can't explain. 